There are many times in life when you know it's just a bad idea, but you do it anyways. Uh, in one instance, for many of you, it's for the love of your bride. Her joy is your delight. And so what do you do? You you have all of this money. You're, you're young and you have not much money, but all that you have, you gather it together. And what do you do? You buy a ring. Like you, you know the implications of what that could be when in retirement. You know that you need to buy a house in the near future, but you don't care. You want to see her with delight in her eyes. And you give all that you have for this ring that she can wear the rest of her life. And you never regret it. Not once do you regret it. It's the same thing we see in our text. Same thing we see in our text. Here's a man who by all estimation is foolish to give up all that he has to have this field. But there's a treasure in that field. And that treasure is the kingdom of God. He's giving up all that he has so that he can have God in his kingdom. Just as we give up all that we have to buy a ring for a bride, just to see the delight in their eyes. With that in mind, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be finishing up the parables of Matthew 13. We're in verses 44 all the way down to 52. Matthew 13, verses 44 down through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good in containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? He said to them, they said to him, yes. He said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who out of his treasure brings out what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we come to you empty but with open hands, God. And we, we have pride in our minds and pride and arrogance in our hearts, God. And I pray that you would just push that aside, that we would be able to behold you and your glory. God, you can't do this. All of this is in vain, God. All of this labor is in vain if you do not reveal yourself through your word, God, and cut us deep. This very hour, God, I pray that we would be cut deep but we would find hope and hope in you alone. Amen. 
The main idea that we're going to be working under is that the kingdom of heaven, we've been preaching about this for months and months and months as we've been tracking through Matthew. The kingdom of heaven demands all that you have. Not a little bit. Not whatever you want to give. The kingdom of heaven demands all that you have. And you see this in this first section here, verses 44 through 46. We're going to be looking at joyful sacrifice. Not just joyful giving a little bit, not just sacrifice without joy, but joyful sacrifice. What does that look like in the Christian life? Following that is the rabbit that are sobering verses. Uh, 47 through 55 or through 50, and we see that, well, indeed, this is a kingdom. And there is a king of kings who is the king of this kingdom, and he demands homage. And for those who walk in rebellion against him, there will be a price to pay. And then finally, we're going to be looking at what should we do with these parables? Now that he's wrapped them up, what should we do with them? What are the disciples to do? What are you to do with all of this truth that God has given us? We're to press forward and bring out this treasure that God has given us, not to hide it away. So, main idea, the kingdom of heaven demands all that you have. Joyful sacrifice, the delight of the Christian to give all that he has for the kingdom of God. The other side of the same coin is the price that those who will pay who refuse to submit to this king of kings. And then finally, the application that Christ gave to them, we will have the same application. Bringing forth this treasure that God has given us. So let's go to this first section, verses 44 through 46. Let's go back to the text. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, for several weeks here, Jesus Christ has been sitting in this boat on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember when we started this parable in chapter 13, if you go to the top, he's just sitting on the shore, but it doesn't take long till a crowd gathers around him, so much so that he has to go into the boat and come out away from the crowd into the shore. And he's not standing up and waving his hands like some ridiculous preacher before them. But no, he's sitting down and he's, he's dialoguing with him. He's communicating with him and he's giving them these parables about the kingdom of heaven. He's both teaching them and calling them to action. And so to have an understanding of what these parables are doing, and Adam touched on this last week, and it's a great point. Understand what Christ is doing with these parables. Just think of the kingdom of heaven in your mind's eye as this jewel or as this diamond. And all of these parables are these different facets about this, about this beautiful kingdom that is being held before them. It's this jewel that you, you, can't, you can't understand the kingdom just in this two-dimensional shape, but no, you have to look at it and turn it. As you turn it, it becomes more beautiful as the light hits it in these different ways. So you, you can't just simply say the, the kingdom is this and that's it. No, he has to say, well, the kingdom is like this, but it's also like this. And, and it's like this, but it's also like that. So there is a series of parables that are given from Christ that's calling them to action. Because the kingdom of God is so vast and so beautiful and so glorious, you can't just say the kingdom of heaven is 
this. He has to give them different examples. And so what are the examples that we see? What are these different facets? Well, we first see that a, a sower went out to sow. And he, he cast his, his seed on these four different types of soil. Along the path, along the rocky ground where it comes up and then it dies. Among the, the thorns where the cares of the world choke it out. And then finally, finally, there's the good soil. So we see that the kingdom of heaven is only for those who are able to receive the word of God. Then we, we see that there's also the wheat and the tares. And there's, there's good seed, but then there's also weeds among them. And they grow together. In the beginning, you can't tell the difference between them. But in the end, God's kingdom will be pure. In the end, the weeds will be separated out from the wheat. And, we see, and then we see also this different facet of this mustard seed as well. In the kingdom, what does it do? How does it start? Small and slow. But eventually, in due time, it grows and it grows and it's larger than anything and it's enduring as well. And then there's also the leaven. And you see that the kingdom, it, it's just this little bit. And it's put in with the new dough and it permeates every aspect of it. So the kingdom of heaven permeates your whole life. But now what do we see? What are we learning here about the kingdom? Well, you see in verse 44 that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And it's not laying out amongst the wheat or the corn and invisible sides and, and quite, it's hidden. And so, quite frankly, to the naked eye, you're going to miss it. To the naked eye, to the natural man, it looks foolish to buy this field to dig up this treasure. They don't see it. You look out in the field and there's nothing special about it to you. Quite frankly, it looks like the same sandy plot of soil you've been working your whole life. But then, there's this crazy man who comes to you and he wants to buy your field. Which is comical because, one, it's not even for sale. But you see that this man who's crazy has obviously sold all that he has in order to buy this field. His wife's nice pottery? Sold it. Kids' toys? Sold it. That tunic he's been saving up for two years to buy? This extra bit of clothing? He sold it as well. The tools to work in the field, once he has the field, he sold them as well. Everything. Everything means everything. Everything is sold in order to purchase this field which is way more than what the regular asking price would have been. But he doesn't care. He just wants that field. If it cost him everything, he's happy to give it. And he comes to you with this joy, right? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. He comes to you with this great joy, which, again, to the natural man, it makes no sense because he's given up everything that he has. What would compel a man to do such a thing. What would compel a man to take these drastic, these drastic measures and why? Why is he doing it with such great joy? This, this sacrifice cannot be externally pressed upon you. No, it can only come from within. That is the only place such sacrifice and such desire can come. If it's externally pressed upon you, you might be able to do it for just a little bit. and You might be able to do a a little bit, you might sell off a little bit if it's a good investment, but no, you're not going to go ahead and sell everything that you own in order to buy that field. 
So what is your motivation for sacrifice when you think of the kingdom? What's your motivation? Is it obligation? Does your parents bring you here, kids? Is it, is it duty? Is it drudgery? Remember, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys this, buys this field. My friends, if it's not in joy, it will not last. The man who sells all that he has to buy that field will gladly again sell all that he has and buy the next field that has that treasure, the kingdom of heaven. He will do it again and again and again. My friends, it is not a duty, but it is a delight to serve our God. It is not a duty whatsoever. If it is a duty, check your heart. Check your heart. If it's a duty, it will not last. And quite frankly, you're not going to do it well, and you're going to be full of bitterness when you do it. It should be a delight, not a duty to serve our Lord. Here's the King of all kings that's come down to earth, and we serve Him. Do it with joy in your heart. What a privilege to sell all that we have, to buy this field, to have this treasure of God held before us. So moving on, you see this, this next facet of this same jewel is this pearl of great price. And the king of the heaven is like a merchant in the search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You, you see the expectations as the same here. He goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. He went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. The expectation of you is that you give everything for the kingdom. In both instances, they sell all that they have. Did they need that much? That doesn't matter. They sold all that they had and gave it towards the kingdom. Why? Because they must have it. It was a joy. It was a delight to get rid of all that because their eyes are fixed upon this, this treasure, upon this pearl, upon this kingdom of God, upon God himself. And they will give up anything to have it. Their family inheritance, they'll sell it just to have this pearl, just to have this field and this treasure. So the kingdom of God is not only for the good soil. The kingdom of God is not only large and enduring as we see with the mustard seed. It not only permeates everything with, as we see with the leaven. It's not only pure as you see the separation between the wheat and the tares. But the kingdom of heaven demands all that you have. All, my friends. And you joyfully give it. It's, it's, it's not such a cheap thing. Is God such a cheap thing? Is this kingdom such a cheap thing that he would demand less than all? You demand all of your faithfulness to your spouse, right? We expect that. You demand all obedience from your children. Is God that much less? That he wouldn't expect all of your faithfulness, all of your obedience, all of your time and your treasure. No, and we joyfully give it. And quite frankly, you're a fool not to do it. You're a fool not to do it. What you give and what you receive are two entirely different things. And this call to action exposes the passions within your heart. Remember, these parables are not just teaching. They're not just teaching. They're a call to action in light of this, this conflict that he's having with the, with the Pharisees and he's 
He's calling his true disciples to action, to receive the word, to be a part of the kingdom that's growing, and to give everything for the sake of the kingdom. Would you rather maintain all that you have, everything that is temporal, everything of your flesh, that does nothing for you but esteem you before men and women? Would you rather have that or would you rather have the kingdom? Remember that the kingdom demands all that you have, so do not be enticed away by the things of this world calling you like a siren to shipwreck your faith. Look throughout Scripture. In the beginning, God created the world and it was good. God saw all that He made and it was very good. We see. And as an aside, the material things of the world, they are good. God has created them to be good. But oftentimes, as we'll see with Eve here, it's not too long when the things of this world begin to supplant God himself. So rather being a means to delight in God and, and glorify God for his goodness, no, 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 they become idolatrous things that we, that we cast God aside that we might have these. But it doesn't take long for it to happen, right? There's Adam and Eve in the garden. One thing they're not to eat. You can enjoy the goodness of God. Walk with God in the coolness of the eating. In the coolness of the eating. And what do they want? They want the one thing. It was more delightful to her. It was more delightful to Adam than to have God himself. So the things of this world, they will often entice us away from God and from his kingdom. So it wasn't only, it wasn't only Eve, but look at Solomon, the wisest of all men. What enticed him away? The things of this world. He was a good, he was a godly man in the beginning. But you see in 1 Kings, for when Solomon was old, when you expect him to be even more wise, no, no, what do you see? When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And he had other wives because he wanted his kingdom to grow. He wanted allegiances with other kingdoms. Kingdoms of men, not kingdoms of God. When he was old, other wives, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. And go down several verses. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Gosh, he started so promising. He followed the word of God, but he fell away. He fell away. He fell away after the things of this world. And it, it, it happens to Solomon. Do you really think it's, it, it couldn't happen to you? The wisest of all men is drawn away by the things of this world. And here we play with them and play with them and play with them and think it's not a big deal. Like we won't be enticed away by title and status and career, by expanding our kingdoms in this world, having a larger business, neglecting the word of God, publishing the next research paper to get our name out while we're neglecting community groups, and family devotions. You're going to, it's not worth it, my friends. So here's Solomon. He, he cared not for the kingdom of God, and ironically, it was his kingdom that was taken away from him and divided and eventually plundered by other kingdoms. But it wasn't only Eve and Solomon. Look at those who were following with Jesus, the rich young ruler. Why couldn't he follow with Jesus? Because he loved the things of this world more than Christ in his kingdom. Judas, 30 pieces of silver, fell away. He's in hell. 30 pieces of silver. Should have bought the field. 
should have bought the field. Like even the disciples. Why? They love the things of this world. They love their own lives. And they flee them in the garden. But it wasn't only Eve and Solomon and Jesus. Look at Paul. Look at who fell away from him. When Paul was in prison, he writes to he writes Colossians, and at the end here he says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. And then he fell away. Demas did. Why? Get to the last letter that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, and he writes, Demas, he was walking with Paul. He was with Paul imprisoned in Rome. Keep, this in, keep that in mind. Demas, having loved the, this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He left. He deserted him. Why? Because he loved this present world. What will you do? You, you've seen this treasure. We've been preaching to you. Adam's been preaching to you. We've been preaching to you. The kingdom of heaven. Have you beginning to see its glory and its majesty? What will you do? You have this treasure. You have this pearl. And clearly you can't have them both while still holding on to the things of this world. What will you do? So what does this look like in your life? And I hammer on you guys, but quite frankly, you're quite amazing. So what does this look like in, 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 our, in, our, in our setting? You have husbands who are staying home with their children Sunday evenings, feeding the children, bathing them, putting to bed so their wives can go to school of theology and learn how to read the text. That is a beautiful thing. Sacrifice is simple like that, and you do it in joy. Remember to do it in joy. You give up time with your husband or your wife so they can go take a missions trip that we'll be working on in the near future. Why? So that the kingdom of God might go forth, so that you can make sacrifices and do it in joy so that the kingdom of God could go forth. Or moms, you stay home all week with your kids, which is not always a delight, but it's a sacrifice. And you give up your career and take the wonderful title of being a homeschooling mom. What, a, what great social status, right? What do you do? I, I stay home with the kids and I, I teach them. Oh, okay. You take that on. Why? So that you can train them in righteousness rather than having someone else train them in secularism and humanism. Remember, you're making the sacrifices. Continue to do it in joy. In joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And for some of you, you know there's something in your heart that is holding you back. Something that is holding you back. Something, think of this thing that is holding you back. It, it's value in relation to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest value, not you, not your life, and certainly not the things that you have. We live like kings, so many of us. We live like kings and we don't even know it. We take it for granted. You think Julius Caesar, you think Nebuchadnezzar, and you think Alexander the Great ever turned a hot shower on and enjoyed it? No. We live like kings, but we're spiritually poor. We're impoverished, so many of us. Wouldn't you rather have a heart that is full of the beauty of God and His kingdom and the dirt floor 
Rather than having a home that is ornate and full of clutter, with no time and no care, no worries for the kingdom of God and for God himself. If any desire for this world or any, anything of this world is, hope, is holding you back from appreciating and seeing the kingdom of God, get rid of it. Cut it off. Throw it away. Save your soul, my friends. And obtain that which is eternal. Just get away that which is a temporal to obtain that which is eternal. Again, you're a fool not to do it. But you're a blind fool. You don't see it. Forgo the things of this world to obtain the glory of God, my friends. Buy that fear. Sell all that you have. Buy that pearl. And have God himself. So we, we see... The beauty of this kingdom of all. It calls us to make these sacrifices and these joyful sacrifices. Now there's a rather sobering look at some verses of what happens when you do not do that. You've been warned to do this. You've been challenged to do it. What happens to those who don't? Well, let's, let's take a look. Verses 47 through 50. Let's go back to the text. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good in containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, in, in our home, growing up, and, and even now, Amongst German women, you will find truth, and you'll get the truth, even if it is of little comfort. You will get the truth. So that's what we also we have in this text here. We, we see the impact of this parable is that we're able to understand it and see it in our mind's eye. You, you see it, right? This warning before us. The men are fishing and they're casting out their net, which is obviously the gospel going forth into this world. And it drags all sorts of fish in, right? And that at the end of the age, the fishermen will come and, and separate the fish. They'll keep the good ones, put them into, into containers, and discard the bad fish. So it will be at the end of the age when the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous. And this parable, as we're looking at, is not so intended to show us the joy that is held before those who are Repentant, those who are the good fish, those who are the fish put in the containers. You see that elsewhere, like Matthew 25 that we'll get to. As Matthew, as Matthew writes, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. What a, what a joyful, joyful thing to think of. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And here's the word that we all long to hear. Enter into the joy of your master. So these words are of comfort are given to the good fish, other places. But in our text that we're working through this morning is the calamity that befalls the wicked. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace, it says, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you see that your life is not your own. What do we see in the first part? The kingdom of heaven demands all that you have. Either you joyfully give it now, my friends, or in due time you will give it as you drink the cup of the wrath of God. 
The kingdom will exact from you. It will pull from you all that you have. Give it now, my friends. Give it now. So how do you, what do you do with this, right? How do, how do you apply such, such a text? Well, the first one is quite obvious, I hope. Repent. Repent. How, how gracious of God to, to give us these warnings. That we're not caught off guard. Why do you think men and women are afraid of death? Because they know the judgment of God. Even if they haven't heard the gospel, they know their deeds are wicked and they will be judged by a good, gracious, just God. That's why they're afraid to die. How gracious of our God that He's given us these warnings to remind us in a sobering fashion the torment that awaits us and awaits me and awaits you and you if you do not repent. If you continue walking in rebellion against this King of all kings, the King of this glorious kingdom. Remember, the the kingdom demands all that you have. Repent in light of that. Repent and joyfully give it now. So what do we do? We repent and then we also read this. And as Christians, it's quite sobering, but we rejoice. If you're in Christ, we rejoice that our glorious God has not poured out His wrath on us, which we deserve, do we not? But for His sheep, who hear his voice, my sheep, hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. For us sheep who hear his voice calling out to us, we rejoice. This calls us to rejoice that he himself, Christ himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So when we rejoice, we, we see and we read about these place of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, it calls us to repent. But as Christians, we see this and it calls us to rejoice that this great calamity that should befall all of us who walk in rebellion against God for some of us, for his people, it was poured out. Not on us, but on His Son. And as Christians, we long for this day, quite frankly. We we long for this day when the wheat and the chaff, the weeds and the wheat, the fish, the good fish and the bad fish, the evil and the righteous will be separated once and for all when we will behold our God in all of His glory. And you who refuse to repent because you think this is still about you and you think that you'll be missed. No, no. The saints will be praising God as He punishes the wicked. The saints will be praising God for His just and His righteous punishment. What does it say in Revelation You see, Alleluia. The saints are going to be crying out, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Why? For His judgments are true 
and just. No, no. Our allegiance will not be to our family. Our allegiance will not be to our spouses. We will behold the glory of God and His justice, and we will rejoice as His justice goes forth on those who refuse to repent. My friends, if you are here and you are not a Christian, repent. This is not sobering to you. Pray to God. Pray to God that He would soften your heart. That you would turn from your sin. That you would not be among those who are weeping and gnashing of teeth. And do you think there's going to be any any rest? No. Enduring, enduring the wrath of God forever. My friends, repent. On that nice light moment, right? Uh, we, we see that the, the fullness of this kingdom is being brought to us in this, it's this beautiful jewel. And we see these different facets of it. And it's calling us to joyfully sacrifice. But those who don't, they're called to repent in light of this weeping and gnashing of teeth that is held also before them. But what are the disciples to do? What are we to do? What are you to do in light of all of this? So with that, let's, let's conclude with these remarks on verses 51 and 52. And the text here says, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And remember that Christ is still sitting here on his boat as he's concluding his message, this third dialogue that we see in Matthew. And what are his, his disciples to do? Be, we see that Christ is the teacher and they are the students. Christ is the rabbi, they are the scribes. That's why they're called scribes. And what are they to do? What are you to do? So we have this treasure. We've, we've bought it. It's, we have the field. We have the pearl. What are you to do? Bring it out. Bring it forth. When it, when it says, who brings out of his treasure, the word is actually throwing. Throwing, which is a good indication of this zeal that we Christians have is bringing forth this instruction about the kingdom of God, about God himself. Don't bury the treasure back in the field, my friends. Don't bury the treasure, but bring it forth. That they too, that other people might come and gaze upon the glory of God and his kingdom. Don't bury the treasure back. I hope you're beginning to see I hope you're beginning to see the glory of this kingdom of heaven. We've been seeing it throughout the book of Matthew and John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. What are the first words? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I hope you're beginning to see the glory of this kingdom that is held before you, my friends. So joyfully sacrifice. Give all that you have. All that you have. Even in our opulent life of luxury. Give all that you can for the sake of the kingdom. So if you do not, if you do not repent, if God has not changed your heart in such a way that you joyfully do that, well then walk in fear, my friends. Walk in fear because we are held before us this truth that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, my friends. May that not be you in your soul. Let us pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we, we pray that You would work in our hearts. God, we have these texts that are sometimes encouraging and uplifting, and we have texts that are challenging and burdensome. God, I pray that we would be able to go forth in joy and give all that we have for You and for Your kingdom, God, because we have seen Your Son who has done the same thing, who has come down from heaven, who has given all that He had for the sake of Your glory, God. I pray that we would do the same. That we would not be found amongst those who refuse to repent, who refuse to bow our knee before this King, your Son. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that we would repent of our sins daily before you. Amen.